I'd like to invite your attention to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Are you glad to be alive this morning? Amen. Are you glad to be alive? More importantly, are you glad to be alive in Christ? To be alive in Christ is a life that goes beyond our physical, material world to touch our very hearts and our very souls. It is, in the words of Jesus to Nicodemus, to have been born again. And as I've told you, the, the saying that I like, the one preacher said, you need to be born again because you weren't born right the first time. And we can be born again. I want to talk to you for a little bit this morning from First Peter about born again living. I uh, uh, sometimes hear people talk about their childhood and um, looking back they think about uh, what it was like growing up and they didn't realize until they got older that they were poor. Um, maybe some of you know what I'm talking about. Looking back you realize you were poor but when you were a child you didn't know that you were poor. You were just, you had uh, Hopefully, most of you, I'm sure there are probably some exceptions here, but, uh, but most of you, you had a, a home where there were parents that loved you and provided for you and cared for your needs, and so you were relatively happy in your life and in your living and did not realize until you got older that as you look back that maybe there were times when money was tight and you couldn't get everything that you wanted or asked for. I sometimes hear people these days, I remember I was thinking of my, uh, my great-uncle. Uh, he was an uncle by marriage. He was not a blood relation, uh, but he was uh, from Norway. Uh, he seemed like he had some of the, the DNA of the Vikings in him because he was just a big, big man and naturally, naturally strong. And I remember going to visit him uh, when I was just a boy. His, uh, his wife, who would have been my great aunt, she had passed away, and he had gotten to the place where he was, was quite elderly and feeble. He was about six foot six or six foot seven when he was in his prime, and by this time he had shrunk down uh, those that knew him uh, in the family, that they would sometimes greet him, and he, he would hurt you, not, not intentionally. If you shook hands with him or embraced him, he would hurt you, not meaning to. He just did not realize his strength. But at this time, he, he told my dad, uh, as I was probably, I don't know, in my early to mid-teens, and he was living in a house by himself, not able to take care of himself very well, not able to take care of his home very well. And uh, he said, I just am, am tired, tired of living. I want to I go on home. And that was kind of the way he had come to see life. <clears throat> you know, that's one thing for, for the Christian to think about from a, a perspective of leaving this physical life 
and going home to be with Jesus. That's, that's one. That's a good thing to be able to have that perspective. You know, I know there are some like the little boy who in the service when the pastor, most of you I'm sure have heard this story, the pastor asked, how many of you want to go to heaven? And everybody raised their hand except for the one little fellow. And, and they said, Sonny, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And the, the young boy said, oh, yes, I want to go when I die. But I thought you were getting some ready for a trip to go now. That's, that's one thing, but it's different for the person living the day-to-day life, and because of the humdrum and the drudgery of routine, you grow tired and weary of living. We have just come through a time of revival. We've had revival services. We've had special singing and music and oh our hearts have been encouraged and and we've been fed from the scriptures and these are the kind of times that at least for me and it's part of what I believe revival ought to be intended for is that we come through these times and it maybe energizes us and gets us to the place where, yes, I'm, I'm ready to go on living for Jesus. I'm ready to go on, to, to go back into the world, to face life and to do it for Jesus and to do it for God's glory. On the other hand, we've all, and maybe some of you were here before the revival services. Hopefully none of you are in this place right now, but you may know what it's like to just stay in the grind as a Christian. Like someone said, the trouble with life is that it's so daily. And life can just wear you down and and beat you down until you get to the point where you're just tired of the grind. I'm not talking about just physically. We all, you know, some of you may feel like, Pastor, that's every day I feel that way. But I'm talking about our, our spiritual life. We have uh, an adversary, an enemy that wants to jump on our shoulder and whisper in our ears and try to keep us distracted and focused on the problems in life. We live in a world that is no friend of grace and anything that we strive for, any gains that we make, we're going against the flow of this world. We're going uh, against uh, our enemy and we're striving. And yes, thank God for His grace that there is enabling power available to us, but Sometimes it just gets tiring, doesn't it? We've invested time in revival services. We've invested energy and we've invested financially in revival services. Thank you, by the way, for your faithful giving financially. Why is it worthwhile? Well, friends, I believe this morning that it is worthwhile if after we've come through a period of revival meeting, that it helps us to stand up a little bit straighter and a little bit taller and feel that we're a little bit more energized in our souls and in our spirits to face this world and stand in the face of the devil and say, I'm going to follow and serve Jesus Christ. If it's helped us in that way, then it's worthwhile. Amen? Amen. Peter, here in this letter of 1 Peter, is writing 
to encourage people to stay in the battle, to stay in the fight, and keep on being faithful in serving and following Jesus. He is writing from Rome, which he refers to as Babylon, and uh, he is writing to, not to Jewish Christians, but he's writing to Gentile Christians, Gentile believers, churches. This would have been a circular letter uh, that would have passed, been passed around through various churches uh, in the region of, of Asia Minor. And uh, these are people who are experiencing more than their fair share. What they're dealing with is not just the humdrum and the drudgery of daily trying to live for Jesus in a world that's no friend of grace. What they are dealing with is persecution. They are, are living in a society where they are, are being uh, tortured, they're being beaten up, they're being ridiculed, they're, they're suffering for their faith, actively suffering for their faith. And Peter is writing to them to encourage them in their persecution, to try to help them stay in the fight. And one of the words that he likes to use in this, uh, this letter, he uses it about a half a dozen times, is the word living. Living. We could, uh, your, your King James Version, in some places, if you're reading from the King James Version, you will see that it translates that word as lively lively. Let's take a look at the Scriptures for just a moment. First uh, Peter chapter 1, we'll begin with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Let's bow our hearts for just a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for the privilege to be in church. We ask that you will help us to enter into born-again living. Sometimes those of us that have been born again get weary and tired. Would you remind us who we are in you, what you have done for us, what we have in our possession because we have been born again? And help us, Lord through the remaining parts of this service, and to you be all honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> there are 
depending on who you talk to and, and their perspective, there are advantages to death and dying. I spoke to you a moment ago about my uncle, my great uncle, who, who said he had just gotten to the place where he was so tired and weary he was just ready to go home and be reunited with his wife, his family that had gone before him, and, and to go and see Jesus. And I, I understand that for the Christian. Even sometimes for the non-believer, there are those who, uh, some because of mental illness or emotional illness or what have you, uh, but others simply out of uh, the fact that they've gotten to the place they can see nothing but their own lives and their own problems, they commit the most selfish act that they can commit, uh, that anyone can ever commit, and that is they take their own life. And they see that that is more advantageous than to go on living. Really, the only advantage of death is freedom from something. You get set free from something. You are at least temporarily liberated from this physical life and all of its demands. But there is no freedom to do anything. Peter begins this letter by talking about the life that comes through regeneration. This is a, a, an introduction of praise and blessing. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His mercy, He has caused us to be born again. According to His mercy, He has caused us to be born again. And then he goes on to list a number of things that we are born to. He says, first of all, we are born to a living hope. Verse 3, a living hope. I mentioned this a moment ago, that that word living uh, is translated in the King James Version as lively. A lively hope, uh, to give you a little quick grammar lesson this morning. I know that's exactly what you came to church for. Uh, that word is a present uh, active participle, uh, which means it is a verb word, an action verb, but is used as either an adjective or an adverb. It's used to describe something else. So Peter says, you are born again to a living or to a lively hope. When you look at some Christians in the church today, um, sometimes it makes you wonder how lively their hope is, how lively their faith is. You want to see something that is lively, something that is living? You know, some of you know what it's like, some of you are experiencing this right now, to have either a, a, a toddler or a, about a one to two-year-old, something like that. Maybe even a, a little baby that's not quite uh, learned how to walk yet, but they're getting to that point where they're, they're starting to move around and, and kick their legs and flail their arms. Have you ever thought about how much energy that takes? How, how many of you would like to lie on your back and try to kick your legs and wave your arms like you see the little infant do? How long do you think you could last? I'm not sure. 
for some of us, how long we would last. It takes energy. Why? Those, those babies are lively. They're full of life. They have energy. And this is the way Peter describes the hope that we have in Christ because of the new birth. He says, you have been born again to a living, to a lively hope. One of the things that he's referring to there is resurrection. In other words, it is life, uh, it is hope for a life that goes beyond the physical life. Now, the Pharisees uh, believed in the resurrection, but their belief in that resurrection only went so far. Um, we read about uh, many Jewish people that believed in, re- in uh, resurrection. In fact, we can see an example of that if we go to John chapter 11. You remember in John chapter 11 is recorded the story of Lazarus when he died. Uh, Jesus, uh, or, or rather uh, Martha and Mary, had sent for Jesus, and Jesus delayed coming to them. Uh, to, to heal Lazarus of his sickness, and, and uh, Lazarus died. And then uh, the sisters, Mary and Martha, their perspective was, as, as would have been ours, Jesus waited too late to come. And he was already in the grave when, uh, uh, Lazarus was already in the grave when Jesus and the disciples came. And uh, when they heard that Jesus was on his way, Martha went first to go and find Jesus, or, or to go and talk to him. And, and Jesus said, Lord, if, or rather Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. If only you had made it here on time. Verse 22 of John chapter 11, she said, But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, and I I don't know, I sometimes read into the Scripture, I read between the lines, and I can hear, I can imagine Martha's tone of voice. Um. You remember some of the other stories about Martha and Mary? You remember the story where Martha, where, uh, Martha got frustrated because Mary was just sitting around listening to Jesus, and, and Martha said, Jesus, I'm in here doing all the work. Why don't you tell Mary to get up and come and help me? She was, she was that kind of a temperament. Anybody here with a Martha personality? Yeah, that's some of you, and that's okay. We thank God for you, because if everybody had a merry temperament and a merry personality, it'd be hard to get work done. It'd be hard to get things done. But anyway, Mar- I can hear I can hear Martha's tone of voice. Yes, yes, I know that he will rise again to the resurrection on the last day. Jesus saying, "Your brother will will live again. He will rise again." Yes, yes, I know, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Peter says we are born again to a living hope, and the hope that we have and the life that we have within us is not a, a life that is waiting for, uh, for some distant future uh, fulfillment uh, in the sweet by and by, so to speak, but it is a life that we possess and we have now. 
We are born again to a living, to a lively hope. It is a life that we have because of the resurrection of Jesus. We are born to this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, there's another another place in Scripture where it calls, uh, I believe it's Paul's writings, where he refers to the resurrection of Jesus as the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, resurrection has already begun. You know, there's, I got in trouble for saying this one time, uh, but at the risk, I'm going to do it again. Um, do you know, Lazarus was not resurrected, properly speaking. Lazarus was resuscitated, Meaning, now, it was obviously miraculous, but we have, you know, resuscitations take place all the time in, in our world. I've, I've been present and seen them happen. Not, not a miraculous resuscitation in the way Lazarus was. Lazarus had been dead for four days when Jesus called him out of the tomb. But the life that he came back to was the same body and the same life that he had before he had died. Lazarus had to die again. But Jesus, when he rose from the dead, his resurrection was the first of the true resurrection from the dead. He rose again in a glorified form, in a new body, and he came back to life never to die again. And that same kind of hope, the hope for that kind of life, is the life that you and I have within us if we have been born again through Jesus Christ. We have that seed within us, and it is a seed. Here's another place where uh, Peter uses this word living. It is produced by the seed of the living Word of God. Look at verse 23 in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. People, we have been born again to a living, lively hope. Amen. We have life within us. We are also born again to a lasting inheritance. We are born again to a lasting inheritance. Notice verse 4 of 1 Peter chapter 1. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Now I'm going to skip the end of verse 3 and go to verse 4 just to help you make sense of it. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Um, Now most of us know what an inheritance is, but very few of us have the kind of appreciation for an inheritance that, that Peter's audience would have had. To really understand the inheritance that Peter is talking about, we need to go back and get a little bit of Old Testament background and Old Testament history. God promised Abraham that he would give to him the promised land, the land of Canaan, for an inheritance. It would be for him and for his descendants. If we go over to Hebrews chapter 11, we can get a little bit of a, 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 of a summary of this. Uh, 
Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now listen, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. They had not yet received their inheritance that had been promised to them, but they died in faith, having seen them and greeted them from afar, from a distance, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. In other words, they continued living in hope of the inheritance that they were to receive. Why? Because they simply believed the promise that had been made to them. We sometimes pursue, and sometimes obtain good things, things that we perceive to be of value. I don't know how many of you can see this picture very clearly, but there sits, I think, what is two uh, classic Porsches. I believe at least one of them is a 911. If you don't know what a Porsche is, then you're not a car person. Um, anybody that's a car person would love to have one of these cars. <clears throat> but I see in junkyards, you, you know, you can, you can go, there's a, there's a junkyard, or south, actually a couple junkyards uh, down uh, just off MacArthur, a little bit south of I-40. And uh, if you want to see an illustration, a good sermon illustration, just go to, the, go to the junkyard and look at those cars and imagine that every single one of them was once shiny and brand new and sat in somebody's driveway and no doubt they called their family members out and said, hey, come here, come here, come look and see what's in the driveway. And they proudly showed off their new acquisition, their new ride, so happy, no doubt some spent time and invested energy and love on their car, and yet it deteriorates, it's subject to decay, it gets defiled, the paint fades, the newness wears off, that new car smell, uh, you know, gets mixed in with other smells, and eventually that smell disappears, and... and before long, no matter the car, I saw a picture from, from the hurricane in Florida. Somebody's almost brand new McLaren. If you don't know what a McLaren is, you, you really kind of have to be a car person to know what a McLaren, McLaren. That's about a million dollar exotic sports car. I saw somebody's almost brand new McLaren get getting washed away and flooded by all the water and all the rain. 
leaving that million-dollar sports car ready for this, the junkyard. We spend our lives, we give our lives for treasures, for things that fade away. But friends, those who have been born again and have received life through the new birth, through regeneration, are born again to an imperishable hope, to an inheritance that is imperishable. In other words, it's not liable to corruption or decay. It cannot be damaged. It is undefiled. In other words, it is free from that nature that can cause it to be damaged or deformed uh, or destroyed in the first place. It cannot be damaged. It is unfading. It cannot be dimmed or made less of. And it is reserved in heaven for us, where one day we will receive that inheritance. Pastor, what are you trying to get at? I'm, what I'm trying to get at is, friends... Every once in a while, we need this renewal and restoration of hope that helps us to get back on our feet and stand up a little bit taller and say, I'm ready to engage the world. I'm ready to engage the enemy of my soul if that's what it takes. I'm invested in God's word. I'm invested in God's kingdom, and I'm going to live for Jesus. We are born again to a living hope. We are born again to a lasting inheritance. And we are born again to a loving protection. To a loving protection. Notice again, verse 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1. He's talking about those who have been born again, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are born again to a loving protection. Friends, this is perhaps what Peter had in his vision, in his mind, when he uh, was thinking about this protection, those of us who are being kept. The word there for kept uh, or guarded is the word for a military guard. It's perhaps the same thing that Paul was talking about in Ephesians chapter 6 when he gave a description of us putting on the whole armor of God. You know, in Ephesians, when Paul was writing his description, he had, a, he had a, uh, an illustration right before him. History uh, tells us that he, had a, he uh, for a period of time, was chained by a, about a two- or three-foot length of chain to a Roman guard. And that was how he lived his day. So when Paul was writing, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the, the helmet of salvation, taking the, the sword of the Spirit, and the breastplate of righteousness, and so on and so forth. No doubt, he was perhaps looking at this Roman guard. Peter was in Rome when he was writing this, and, and he probably saw the Roman guards regularly and realized that, you know, at that time, the Roman, the, the might of the Roman army and military was the, the height of military technology. You couldn't get any better, you couldn't get any stronger. And Peter is saying, you that have been born again, you have bo been born not just to a lively, a living hope or to a, a lasting inheritance, but you have been born 
into a loving protection uh, uh, to a God who is able to keep you day by day, moment by moment, through every problem, through every trial. It is His strength, it is His power by which we stand, and He is able to keep us, friends. It is a divine power. A divine power. We, we live in a world that's obsessed with power. We, we talk about political power. Uh, we talk about military power. Here lately we're disturbed by the, the uh, nuclear power of the Russians and the threat that the Ukraine is under. And, and I heard uh, just, just the other day that uh, uh, the United States has invested so many hundreds of millions of dollars to buy uh, medication for uh, to treat radiation sickness and things of that nature, and and it just you know makes you kind of makes you wonder what we might be facing in the not too distant future because of the power of the world. But friends, we've been born again to a loving protection. We are under the protection of divine power. You are born to, uh, to God's power, protected under God's power. We're being guarded through faith for a salvation. Now, this is, this is the one thing that we are called on to maintain as Christians. We are called on to maintain a persistent faith. We must maintain a persistent faith. I, I began by talking about how sometimes we just get tired of living. We get tired of the battles. We get tired of fighting the devil. Now, I, I want to tell you if you, have a, if you have a besetting sin, if there's one thing that can discourage a Christian and cause us to get to this point where we're ready to throw in the towel, it's a besetting sin. I want to tell you this because I know from personal experience what it is like to try to live the Christian life with a besetting sin. What I mean by that is that that's something that just, it just keeps getting in your way and you keep tripping over the same thing. Keep tripping over the same thing. Now, friends... I, I want you to hear me, and I know I'm running out of time. I'm almost done. If you need to ride the altar to make it to heaven, then God will take you there. God will be faithful to you. And if, for whatever reason, I believe there's a number of reasons. This is, this is another topic. But I, it seems like, for a number of reasons, there are some people who just can't seem to get to the point where they can stay on their feet. And they keep coming back, they keep coming back, they keep coming back. Thank God that they know there's a God who loves them and they can keep coming back and keep seeking His favor and seeking His grace. If that's what you have to do, then friends, God's grace is greater than our sin. And I believe, friends, every time you come back with a humble, repentant heart, God will hear your cry for mercy and forgive you and pick you up and carry you on a little ways further. If that's what it takes, then you keep getting up. If you keep falling down, keep getting back up. But let me also just tell you, friends, that God has grace to help you move beyond that point. 
The writer to the Hebrews said, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset. In other words, it is communicated to us there that we can get rid of that if we, with God's help. Maintain your faith. Maintain your faith. Pastor, what does that mean? I've got to do something. What do I have to do? We, we rest in God's faith. You don't, you know, it's not like the man who took his first airplane ride. Have you heard the story? The country, country fellow, he went, to, went somewhere and they were giving airplane rides and maybe an air show or something like that. And, and uh, he, he went for the ride and after he came back down and landed, uh, somebody asked him, well, how did you like the ride? And he said, well, it was all right, but I never did put my full weight on that thing. <laughs> you know, a lot of people live their Christian life just, just like that, as if they're afraid to completely trust and to completely rest in God's power and in God's might to keep us. The, I've said it over and over again, and I'll probably say it more. The best picture, the best understanding I have of faith is, is probably better, the word trust. It's exactly what you're doing in your seat right now. You're not, you're not holding on because you're afraid that pew might break underneath of you. You just simply sit and you rest your full weight. That's exactly what we do in our relationship with God. And we do that until we reach the goal. Until we reach the goal. Now let me read these words to you one more time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, and to a loving protection. You who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Friends, I hope that you are all ready to go on living, living for Jesus. And the life that we will have in heaven one day is the very life that we already possess. We already have that life within us right now, resurrection life. Let's stand together, please. Ahem. <clears throat>